Hello and welcome to the Bankers 2021 podcast series, Banking in Transition, looking at how the banking industry is adapting to the new normal as the world begins to recover from the global pandemic. Uh, Though we haven't quite got out of the woods yet, the thinking has turned more to the future betterment of the industry as a whole. I'm Joy McKnight, Managing Editor of The Banker, and my guest this week is Emma Reynolds, who's Managing Director for Public Affairs, Policy and Research at the City UK, which is a private sector membership body and advocacy group for the UK financial services industry. Thanks so much for joining me, Emma. Thanks for having me. So let's take a little step backwards to the signing of the UK-EU trade deal at the end of 2020 called Trade Cooperation, oh, Trade and Cooperation Agreement. So what does the Brexit deal really mean for financial and related professional services? Well, we were relieved and pleased, um, like many people uh, in across the UK and indeed the EU, that there was a deal uh, agreed on mm. Christmas Eve between the EU and the UK. So that's the first thing to underline. We uh, would have been very concerned had the UK uh, got to the end of the transition period at the end of last last year with an acrimonious no deal situation. Mm. However, there was very little in the deal for financial services, as was um, underlined both by Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, but also um, some opposition Labour figures uh, in the post-Christmas Period, But we were not surprised by that because we've known for some time now that the financial services industry was going to lose passporting, which means that you could base yourself in London as a, as a bank or other financial services institution and trade across Europe. We knew that that was going to be lost early on. So um, many institutions uh, had already prepared uh, long ago for this eventuality, losing Mm -hmm. access to the single market, and set up subsidiaries in different um, European financial centres, and in some cases move staff and obviously assets and apply for licences and and gain those licences ahead of time in most cases. So we're very proud that our industry did all that it could to make the process as smooth as possible for customers. And I think we didn't see any major hiccups or or major problems on the 1st of January, or indeed on the 4th of January when the markets open. Okay, so what is the industry now looking for from the UK government? Well, two things really. The first is that we are pleased to see that alongside the UK-EU deal, there was a joint declaration committing both sides to negotiate and agree a memorandum of understanding. Um, and I think that it's something you know that we've been calling for for some time that there would be structured dialogue uh, between regulators and between the European Commission and, and the Treasury um, to make sure that there is transparency around um, what each side is doing with in terms of regulation um, uh, because necessarily these things aren't static so we've got you know the rise of fintech which I think we'll come on to talk about We've got um, the the increasing importance of green finance. There are many areas now where regulation will need to be uh, nimble, and we haven't got a framework for regulation Mm. in many of these new areas. So there will be changes on both sides, and and there are indeed reviews on both sides of existing legislation. So it's important that that dialogue is set up and um, that is is structured in in a useful way and that industry has some input into that. But I, I would also manage expectations because I think there's been a 
high degree of misunderstanding in some quarters about what the MOU, the Memorandum of Understanding, will achieve. We are not expecting that the MOU will um, say anything significant about unilateral decisions about equivalence. Um, mm. And we're, we're, we're still hopeful that the European Commission will recognise that it's in the EU's interest, as well as in the UK's interest, to uh, consider granting more equivalence to, that's the, you know, I know your listeners will know this, but the, the, the rules are all identical and that we would like a technical, non-political approach to that equivalence process. Uh, and obviously going forward, uh, now the UK has to um, sort of uh, do new trade deals uh, with all different countries because it's no longer a part of the EU. You know, why do you think services rather than just goods, should be prioritised in trade negotiations, you know, more broadly as we move forward. So, of course, it was disappointing that the deal between the UK and the EU had so little to say about services, given mm. that services make up 80% of our economy, but also 70% of the EU's economy. But um, as you said, more often than not, free trade agreements tend to focus on goods rather than services. We would like to see that change. Uh, given the importance uh, of our industry to the overall British economy, the financial and related professional services um, wider ecosystem makes up more than 10% of our economy is the biggest taxpayer, the biggest exporting industry. And in fact, financial services export, uh, British-based financial services export nearly as much as the US and Switzerland combined, which is quite an extraordinary mm. fact. So we're a major sort of national strategic asset to the British economy. So we would like the government um, to very much have that in the forefront of their minds when they're negotiating future trade deals. And we were very pleased to see with the UK-Japan free trade deal that there were provisions on, um, on uh, against data localization and on digital mm. trade. So we were very pleased with that. And we hope that that sets us a, a useful template going forward. Okay. And you, you already mentioned fintech, and obviously London is seen really as the global fintech hub. Do you think that it's going to be able to maintain its position post-Brexit? And what are the challenges uh, to doing so? Sure. Well, you know, um, I think it's really impressive to see the growth of our UK-based fintech industry. And I think that Although this pandemic has been horrific and we saw the news in recent days uh, of the number of deaths exceeding 100,000, which is indeed regrettable and, and horrific, um, one of the uh, opportunities that I think this awful pandemic has presented is increased digitalization. So, you know, hardly anyone now is using cash for transactions, for example, and um, financial services firms had to move all of their business uh, online. Um, uh, and so I think that fintech is going to gain an even greater importance mm. in terms of the British economy and has um, we have great opportunity to ensure that we are we continue to be the leader in, in that area. But obviously, as you say, uh, we can't take that for granted. And we um, we're very we're looking forward to Ron Khalifa's report. And he's already talked about ladders of finance. And you know, making sure that we keep the the larger end of those fintech companies and and that they list in in the UK, or perhaps rather than in uh, 
in the US. We'll see. Um, but that's obviously dovetails with the uh, listings review that Lord Hill is carrying out too. So I think the government is is well aware um, of how important the fintech uh, sector is to the British economy and to British financial services generally. And we were pleased to see at the tail end of last year, the Chancellor underline that this is one of his priorities going forward. So we're, um, we're, we're enthusiastic and optimistic, but not complacent. And I think, you know, access to talent uh, will be another yeah. issue that will need to be addressed by the government. Okay, and you did touch on it a little bit there, um, but can you add anything in terms of how the coronavirus pandemic has really impacted businesses in the financial and uh, related professional services industry in the UK? Sure. Um, well, look, well, the first thing I would say is that there are other sectors that have been hit much harder. Hospitality mm. uh, in particular springs to mind, but obviously the pandemic has wreaked havoc uh, in terms of the economy. And I don't think we're yet to see the full impact because in a way the economy is still on life support with the you know, the existence of furlough and some of these other schemes to help business, which is, you know, absolutely right that the government put, has put those in place. But I don't think we'll see the, the true extent of the damage to the economy until um, later uh, this year. Um, in terms of the financial services sector, they've done a done an absolutely brilliant job of um, putting all of the business, you know, into uh, this remote environment that we're all living in. Mm. Um, and there's been very, very little disruption to customers. And in, in fact, the banks have stepped up massively, uh, not only helping um, the government write uh, the terms of the um, state-backed uh, guaranteed loans, the various forms that they have taken for different sizes of businesses. But also one of our um, member firms, a, a big bank, told us that um, they had done three years lending in three months. So, mm. you know, not only have um, banks and other wow. financial services institutions uh, been able to move all of this stuff on online, um, they've also upped the game in terms of the number of loans that they've put out there. And I think the most recent figure is that around 1.4 million uh, companies have benefited from these state-backed guaranteed loans. Excellent. So it really seems as though the industry has stepped up in terms of uh, providing this support. Uh, and I think there's a big change and others have commented on it as well. You know, can uh, when you think about the global financial crisis that was really Seem, seem to be sort of uh, the banks had a big hand in actually um, creating the crisis. Uh, in this COVID crisis, they're actually the ones that are really stepping in to support growth across the UK uh, regions and nations. Absolutely. Banks and other financial services institutions, and indeed the wider related professional services industry that we represent, mm. is now very keen to be part of the solution to this awful pandemic and the economic um, consequences of it. And I think that, you know, last year, 2020, showed that, you know, banks and others, as you said, did, you know, stepped up to the mark and have delivered for customers in what has been the most extraordinary uh, time that, that any of us have really lived through. Mm, excellent. Um, so maybe we can just end on whether, you know, what sort of main trends are you seeing emerging now this year in 2021? Well, um, I think, you know, 
in the start of the year, it's quite difficult to mm. see exactly how this is going to go. Um, I mean, I think one of the things that we have done a huge amount of work on, and I think the government will need to look at again, is what happens to those businesses that I've just been um, mentioning that have taken out these loans, because mm. many are on the smaller end. So many are on the smaller end, even of the SME spectrum, let alone the wider business spectrum. And some of these companies, the smaller businesses have, have never had to even take a loan, let alone uh, you know, any other form of financing. Mm. So we produced a very detailed uh, report uh, in the summer last year, um, which was uh, across industry, uh, across the financial services industry and, and related professional services industry effort, uh, bringing together 200 practitioners. Was, the scale of the work was quite extraordinary. Mm. And we did um, present some figures around the level of unsustainable debt um, and indeed those figures we always said would soon be out of date and would be probably wrong because uh, you know it's very difficult with modeling and, mm. and predictions to especially in a fast-moving environment but um, at the time uh, we in in September when we re-released our figures uh, the the estimates were that there would be 70 billion pounds of unsustainable uh, business debt in the UK and that around 20 to 23 billion of that would stem from government guaranteed loans. Now, we haven't run those figures again recently, but I suspect they would be higher given mm. what we've seen in the economy. And I suppose what I'm saying really is that I think the government will need to look at this again because what, they, what we don't want to see happen is otherwise economically viable businesses hit the wall um, when actually, you know, um, we want those businesses to survive and thrive again. And when the economy and when society returns back to some level of normality, you'd like, you know, you'd want to see those businesses um, come back because they, you know, they do employ a huge number of people up and down the country. So I think that's going to be a theme for this year. I think, obviously, with the upcoming, um, both the UK presidency of the G7 and the COP26, mm. I think there's an increasing focus and interest, uh, not only from our industry, but from consumers or on green, uh, green finance, mm. how are we going to, as a country, pull together and meet our uh, commitment to zero uh, carbon. Um, and so I think, you know, the financial services industry is acutely aware that we have a big role to play in this. So I think you'll see further thinking uh, and policy development in this area, uh, in particular in the lead up to November, when the COP26 uh, summit is taking place in Glasgow. And mm -hmm. then the other, I guess, more political uh, theme that's going to transpire is that because 2020 was such an awful year and uh, elections were uh, postponed, there's a huge number of people um, going to the polls in, in early May. And so, uh, including in Scotland, by the way, in the Scottish parliamentary elections. So I also, you know, lead on public affairs for the City UK. So, you know, we've got our eye on what might happen in those elections and what the political fallout might be. Mm -hmm. So I think that's also one to watch and will shape certainly the second half of the year. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your insights, Emma. And thanks to our audience for listening. Keep up to date by subscribing to our weekly podcasts on iTunes, Spotify and Acast and follow our discussions at thebanker.com slash podcasts. Thanks again.
Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.